Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode... The ascent out of this calamitous great lockdown is likely to be long, uneven and highly uncertain. It is therefore essential that fiscal and monetary policy support are not prematurely withdrawn as best possible. IMF Chief Economist Geeta Gopinath warning against complacency as rising infections force new localised lockdowns. For the Eurozone specifically, the IMF predicted an economic contraction of 8.3% this year, an improvement from its prediction in June, but still the worst slump since the Great Depression and much deeper than the 4.3% contraction expected for the US. While the euro area experienced a huge upswing in the third quarter following the easing of lockdown measures, new restrictions are threatening to plunge the region back into recession, while disputes among policymakers risk delaying much-needed stimulus. I'm Rebecca Byrne, and today I'm joined by ING's senior Eurozone economist, Bert Kalein, to find out what he expects for the fourth quarter and beyond. But we had a pretty good period from June to September, didn't we, as, a, as economies reopened. But since then, there's obviously been a resurgence in the virus. Countries are locking down again. So what does this mean for the last three months of the year? What is the data telling us? Well, I mean, these months were always going to be weaker than those first months of reopening. The rebound effect of simply going from a closed factory to a factory that started to produce again is enormous. And we're therefore seeing these very optimistic big numbers come out about the recovery for those first, let's say, three, four months of reopening. But of course, that's not endless. I mean, at some point, those effects are going to fade and you're going to get back to sort of a more struggling type of recovery. Now, that's something that we were already expecting for the fourth quarter. But on top of that, we see that the second wave of the virus and a resurgence of uh, restrictive measures that uh, we see across Europe still sort of reluctantly, but more and more, all of that is going to further negatively impact the prospects of the recovery, leading at this point to us starting to believe that if we can eke out any growth in the fourth quarter at this point, then that would already be nice given the uncertainty that we see around what's going to happen with the virus in uh, in the coming months. So after all of those great numbers that we saw at the start, now numbers are starting to come to sort of more, to sort of slower growth rate numbers. And on top of that, with a second wave of the virus emerging, uncertainty is very high and it wouldn't be surprising to see some dip down at some point even. How concerned are you about rising unemployment? Um, Some countries have extended furlough schemes, but they're maybe not as generous as they were in the spring. And some schemes are set to end at the end of the year. Are we looking at significant job losses over the winter? Well, maybe to start out, I mean, I think the furlough schemes for the first wave of the virus have been very effective at limiting unemployment. And uh, we could have seen a massive amount of people go out of work in uh, the period that we saw the economy in full lockdown. We didn't see that happen because of furlough schemes. And the rise in unemployment so far has been very moderate. Um, Unemployment in the eurozone right now is just over 8%, while it started at the beginning of this crisis at just over 7 Compared to the huge swings that we've seen in the United States, that's peanuts. It means that it has helped a lot of people bridge that period in which there was no work for them. And now they've gone back to employment. Um, We see some countries like the Netherlands, for example, that have furlough schemes divided up into different rounds. And the most recent round saw a 
fraction of the applications that we saw at the beginning of the lockdown, indicating that the scheme has sort of successfully bridged unemployment for a lot of people, for which it is now not necessary to apply for these schemes anymore because they're back at work again. Now, a second wave of the virus and subsequent lockdowns would, of course, throw the whole path of unemployment off. What we're now expecting is that unemployment will continue to rise very modestly for a number of months to come. And as furlough schemes end, we're expecting a small jump in that number as businesses will, at that point, start laying off where that is still necessary. If, of course, the economy dips down again and we're seeing new new lockdowns emerge, then the necessity... uh, of uh, further layoff for businesses is becoming more pressing. And you would expect that another measure of that sort uh, would also result in new uh, furlough schemes that are being introduced or furlough schemes being lengthened. That's, of course, difficult to do for governments that have already spent a lot of money. So it leaves a lot of uncertainty about the path of unemployment from here on, even though we're in, in case of no second wave, we would have been actually relatively optimistic about where unemployment is headed. We didn't expect it to get all the way up to levels that we saw in the euro crisis. But at the start of the second wave, with all the uncertainty around that, we do see that there's more difficulty around this. Some countries have already anticipated a longer period of uncertainty and have lengthened furlough schemes all the way into 2022 even, countries like France and Germany, for example. So there is some stability in Eurozone countries around the possibility of taking up these schemes. But at the same time, a lot of countries haven't so far, and that uncertainty could lead to more job losses to come. Right. And on top of everything else, uh, but we have the uncertainty over the EU's trading relations with the UK. It looks like uh, Boris Johnson's self-imposed deadline, which is supposed to be October 15th, is going to pass without an agreement. How big a blow is that going to be to the EU? Well, it's certainly likely to have a significant impact. The issue is, of course, that in an economy that is muddling along at a one, one and a half percent growth rate, the impact is likely to be substantial of Brexit. Now that we see such enormous swings related to the virus, you could see that the the wave that Brexit is going to create is going to be quite small compared to the storm that's already causing waves across the Eurozone anyway. We see that the main impact uh, when you look at tariffs that could be introduced or that are very likely to be introduced now is mainly focused on the car sector, but especially on agriculture. And therefore, you see that countries that have most of their trade relationship with the UK focusing on agriculture are the ones that likely see the highest average tariff introduced. Think of countries like Greece and Cyprus and Ireland, of course, which is exporting a lot of agricultural goods into the UK. And on top of that, also has the UK as its largest trading partner. Um, Countries like Slovakia introduce a lot of car products into the UK. There you also see that they will have a very high average tariff come out of this. Of course, there are other issues at hand. Non-tariff barriers are going to come into play as well, which can be disruptive. We're not expecting at this time to see immediate large traffic jams at the borders in France and near the, the boats from the Netherlands, for example, because of the fact that the UK seems to be willing to wave through traffic for the first few months. But at some point that could come into play. There are regulations around product standards for which there need to be contingency measures put into place. Uh, so all of that makes the situation quite hectic 
also for EU businesses and is definitely going to cause disruption at a significant level, especially for the largest trading partners of the UK in uh, in the EU, which are Ireland, Belgium, Netherlands, countries like that are likely to see most significant disruption from this. But then again, when growth rates are already swinging so significantly due to COVID, it may be hard to actually pick up what the effect is going to be in all of that turmoil um, that we're already experiencing. You said in your recent report that the possibility of a double-dip recession in Europe should be a wake-up call to policymakers, but it doesn't look like there's a lot of unanimity um, at the political level right now or within the ECB. Do you expect more stimulus this year and will it help the real economy if there's no demand for credit? Well, what the ECB has done so far is essentially, with a relatively empty toolbox, managing to address the issues that this very specific crisis has caused quite successfully. In the first wave of the virus, with subsequent lockdowns, we've seen that the ECB uh, has targeted liquidity to make sure that there wouldn't be another credit crunch like we saw in 2008. So it has essentially flooded the market with liquidity quite effectively through cheap loans to banks in the TLTRO3 program, and of course has managed to keep spreads low as we saw that the more vulnerable countries to the virus and the impact on the economy of that are also the ones that were already fiscally the weakest. And what the ECB wanted to avoid was to create another euro crisis that we saw earlier in the last decade. Of course, that means that the lessons learned from those two crises have actually been effectively put into place here. And now it's actually up to the ECB to focus more significantly on those long-term targets of inflation that we have seen drop. And the ECB wants to act on that swiftly to make sure that it is not going to be complacent with inflation expectations still very low and uh, and well below its target. So that means that the ECB is likely to move again at the end of this year. And again, with a relatively empty toolbox, that means that we're not expecting much to happen to the deposit rate, which is already well into negative territory at minus 50 basis points. Uh, What we're expecting is that uh, the ECB will do more in terms of asset purchases, which has recently lauded for its effectivity in stimulating the economy. Do you think it'll go a step further? Lagarde has talked about possibly uh, following the Fed and changing the inflation stance. Is that something that you think could happen? Yeah, well, I mean, if the ECB is currently working on a strategic review and much like the Fed is also looking towards its inflation target, it's actually looking at a wide range of its policy making and including that, of course, it's a target that they have. They have, of course, failed to reach that target for a significant amount of time now. And we'll look at whether it's possible to do something with that. We're expecting, indeed, that something will happen along the lines of what the Fed has already announced as well, something that perhaps the ECB, which currently has a target of just under 2%, could move to 2 It's these type of, of things that you should think about. Indeed, also slightly increasing its target with a strong message that for a longer period of time, the ECB will continue to stimulate the economy, which is also in line with what we've heard from Chief economist Lane, for example, that has mentioned that the ECB shouldn't be premature in increasing interest rates again. All of that pointing to a very low for very long uh, scenario moving out of this corona crisis, if we are at some point. Okay, there are only a, a couple of months left in this year, thankfully. Obviously, the outlook for next year depends on the course of the virus. But are there reasons to hope that things might get better? Can you give us any good news? 
Well, I mean, ultimately, we have a lot of vaccines that are currently in the third stage of trials. And the way that that is going to roll, be rolled out, of course, is still highly uncertain. And whether these vaccines uh, individually are going to make it is very difficult to tell. But there is a relatively high rate of implementation of vaccines that make it to a stage three at all. So that means that ultimately, the hope of a vaccine coming into play at some point in 2021 are relatively high still. That means that once that happens, happens, of course, that would be the true game changer for the global economy that is currently being plagued by the coronavirus. And that would, of course, mean that we could look towards a much stronger and sustainable recovery once we see vaccines starting to be rolled out. At this point, with the second wave underway and new measures to contain it uh, starting, that seems like a long way out. But we could be surprised on the upside with that. And uh, if vaccines are going to start to be introduced in the first half of next year, then that will surely change the outlook for the better. All right, Bert Klein, ING's Senior Eurozone Economist. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Rebecca. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content disclaimer.